and pray as we come to the word. Father, we thank you that your word is sharp. Before the foundations of the earth, Lord, you knew today. You knew who would be here, what our needs are, and what we hear. We need to hear from you. So, Father, we give you this time. I give you my words. I give you my lips that you would speak to each one of us, Lord, where you have us and where you want us to go. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is the 21st day of the seventh month on the Jewish calendar. Let me rephrase that. Today is the 21st day of the seventh month of the calendar that God had given his people in the old days. In that time, it was the people of Israel through Moses. So when he gave them that calendar, he knew what he was starting and he knew exactly where everything would land in terms of time. He put the stars in the heavens and he called them markers that they would be signs to tell the time and the seasons. They would be markers. And the calendar is a reflection of the rotation of all of these stars in the heavens. The calendar, the Jewish calendar, or the calendar that he gave the people of Israel through Moses, the calendar of God, was a calendar that was based on the moon. And it would be rotated 30 days. And as the earth rotated around all of those things, as the new moon would come, all of these things would line up according to exact dates. They're different than our calendar. Today is the 20th on our calendar, but it's the 21st on the Hebrew calendar. So on this day, years ago, the prophet Haggai received a word from the Lord on exactly this day. And the word was to speak so that he would be able to get to the king and say this to the kings. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. We just finished singing, the earth trembles. Remember? The earth and the heavens will shake once again. The sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And what is desired by all nations? What is the, one that's de- what is the thing that's desired of all nations? We were just at the cry last weekend... We were just at the cry last weekend, and it was held at the Canadian War Museum. You walk into this room, there's a bunch of chairs, and all around you were heavy-duty tanks and artillery rockets or, or rocket launchers all around us. And it hit me when we were standing there that Canada has an amazing military. Our military has been known across the world to be what? Amazing. We are known for peace. So the the instrument that God has given us as a nation, that which is the strength of the nation, has never actually been used to advance our borders and make them bigger. Think about that. Think about what that means in relation to other nations. The Canadian army was never used 
to defend its own borders, except for the time that the U.S. and, the, and Canada were at war back in the 1800s. Those were skirmishes that were between the settlers of this new land. But once the nation was established and the borders of the nation were drawn, and we became the dominion of Canada, 153 years ago, never has our nation's army been used to expand or to defend our borders. They have been used all over the world. To do what? To bring protection of freedoms. It wasn't for peace. When we were engaged in the First World War and we actually sacrificed and sent our young boys and girls to go fight in Europe, they were going to fight in Europe. They went to fight in Korea. They went to fight in, in different other places along with other NATO nations. But every time we went, I don't know if they went to Korea actually. We did? Thank you. So uh, for all these nations, we were there to protect something. And it was to protect the right of people to have the freedom to choose their destiny. So when we come to an election like tomorrow, it's important for us to understand that what we're voting for, we're not simply voting for the legalization of this issue or the, the, the disqualification of that issue. We're voting about the roots of a nation that has been established by God as an instrument to protect the freedom of other nations. That's huge, guys. And I don't know if we transmit that from our generation to the younger ones. I don't know if they still think along those lines. That scares me if they don't. A lot of us here came because ourselves or our parents saw this thing about Canada, that it's a nation that protects freedoms. Some of us came because it was a Christian nation at the time, but it was a Christian nation because it was built on Christian principles that protect these freedoms. So it attracted a lot of other non-Christians because they felt safe here. They had the freedom to be Baha'is. They had the freedom to be Hindus. They had the freedom to be Indians or, or uh, what do you call it, uh, Buddhists or whatever it is that their faith flavor w choice was. They had the freedom to do that. And that comes from the Christian roots of the individual rights of choice that we have received from God from the very beginning of time. And that's worth protecting. He says, I will shake all the nations and what is desired by all nations will come. What is, the one, what is the thing that's desired by all nations? Peace. Every nation wants peace. Last week we heard about the bombings that are taking place in North Syria. The Americans pulled their troops out. The, the Turks went in and started bombing the Kurds. And everything is, is shaking up right now over there. And I will fill this house with glory. What house? What house is he going to fill with glory? A couple of weeks ago when I shared with you about the, the year that we've entered into on the same calendar, we've entered the year 5780. Do you remember that? And I showed you the letter for the number 80 in Hebrew, and it's the letter pay, and I told you that inside of it, in the empty space, there's a bet. And that bet represents the house. And what is that house but his family? So that house will be filled with glory. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house, this house. In other words, the glory that he is imparting to his church, his family today, is going to be greater, greater than the glory that was in the house that Solomon built, the former house. When Solomon built his house for God, all the nations saw this amazing building and they were afraid and they sent their daughters to marry Solomon so that he would not attack his in-laws. Make sense? 
make a friend out of your enemy. Give him your daughter, marry him uh, to each other. So now they're friends. So it hit me on, on Friday when we were sitting there. I was sitting with Lauren's dad and it hit me. Our kids have our DNA. So when they marry, they're married. But when the Lord gives them children, all of a sudden, Peter's DNA, Lauren's dad, her mom, my DNA, her mom's, Barb, Silva's, and our, all four of our DNA now begins to combine in the children. So all of a sudden, these two families become knit. So when Solomon married the daughters of all these nations, their children were the knitting of these two nations' DNA. Think about what that means. The destinies of these nations now were knit. So the glory that was in that former house doesn't even compare to the glory that the Lord has in store for this house. And that shaking is now happening and we're going to continue to see it happen. The shaking is happening in Lebanon. It's happening in Syria. All of the nations of Assyria are now beginning to feel a shaking. We've been working and praying about the Isaiah 19 highway. The Isaiah 19 highway starts with Egypt and Assyria worshiping together. And it has the third, Israel, worshiping with them. So the Lord is preparing this highway between these three nations so that there would be a blessing to all the earth, he says. And that is the peace that he's bringing out of that place of conflict. We're walking in that area. And look what he says. The glory will be greater than the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, in which place? What's this place? The house. This house that has no walls. This house that's made up of living stones, you and me, that is scattered all across the earth. This house will have what? I will grant peace. I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. There is a peace that the Lord is preparing for this world. There is a peace that this world doesn't understand. There is this peace. I'm going to use the word shalom. Because the word shalom is the word that's used here in the Hebrew. And it means a lot more than just peace where there's no war. It means something much deeper on the individual level. It means a satisfaction, a, a, a longing that has been met, a supply that is unlimited. It means a fulfillment of identity and destiny. It means all of those things packed into one when we say shalom. Some of you know how to use that word in your own language. When you see each other, you say salam. In Farsi. Salam alaikum in Arabic. We use that word because it opens the door of the heart between one heart and another. And it connects us at a point where now we can recognize and be at peace with one another. In other words, we can be fulfilled and not in conflict. It's not just conflict, it's more about destiny as well. So when God says, I will establish this house and put glory in it greater than the first house. There's a reason for that. We're coming up to the Christmas season and we, we, we recognize this verse and we know it and we've memorized it. Our Sunday school kids sing it and talk about it. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. You recognize who that is? Yeah. This government is the government that on our walls in Parliament and our archway in, in Parliament Hill in Ottawa, it's actually carved in the stone that he shall have dominion from sea to sea from Psalm 72.8. It's about this man's government, this king, this God's government, this prince. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is his nature. 
This Jesus that we keep singing about, Jesus, I will do all your will. I will do all of your, uh, every word you speak, I will fulfill. And every word you speak is good for my life. And all of the stuff that we're singing about Jesus isn't just a mythical, warm feeling, fuzzy feeling inside. It is the reality of a king who is the prince of peace, who gives shalom to every person who comes in contact with him, if we're open to it. If we're not open to it, then it becomes judgment. But when we're open to him and he is the prince of peace present in our lives, he can penetrate and bring peace to your deepest conflicts inside. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. When does that begin? When does it end? It doesn't end. But when does it begin? The minute he was born, it began. The minute he was born, it was released into this world. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. And establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Justice is a very tricky word. We're praying about peace and reconciliation between the Armenians and the Turks. Where's justice within that? There has to be justice. Is there a restoration of land or is it that kind of justice? I don't know. But there is going to be a justice. We're talking about the conflict between the Arabs and the Jews. There's a peace and a reconciliation and a justice that has to come into all of that between the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac. We're praying about all these things. Righteousness from that time and on forevermore. Who will accomplish this? The church? No. The armies of the world? No. The governments and the nations of this world? No. The zeal, the heart of the Lord will accomplish this. Now when Jesus was on this earth, this wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, he spoke these words when he was actually declaring the key words of his kingdom. He said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. In other words, he was saying that I am making a family. Scripture tells us that he takes orphans and puts us in families. And we, we long for us as a congregation, City River, to be one family. Three different churches, three different congregations, many different ethnic groups, many different ages, but one family. And it's the heart desire of every one of us to be in a family. Some of us have had wonderful families. Some of us have had bad experiences with our families. Some of us have had broken families. Some have had absent families. But irrespective, there's a longing in our heart that longs to find us connected into the context of a family. And that's what he's making, children of God. So this Prince of Peace, instructing his students, his disciples, he tells them this thing. He tells them, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my student, must do something. Must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So next week, I've purchased about 100 crosses. Not little ones, big ones, full-size ones. And a lot of nails. And I'm going to hand them out. And every one of you will take a cross home. And we're going to start next Sunday. One of us, Eddie, you're going to help me. Uh, who else? Uh, J-Gap. We're going to bring the crosses here. And one by one, we're going to come and we're going to nail our hands and feet to the cross. Is that what he means? Is that what he's talking about? He can't be. He can't be. For 2,000 years, nobody else has been crucified like him. His death was enough. His sacrifice was enough. But he's talking about something different. He's talking about us daily taking up our cross. And it's not that what we put on our lapel here. 
It's got nothing to do with the cosmetics. It's got nothing to do with hanging a cross on your chain. It's got to do with something much deeper. So what is it? Now, this is the key of how to handle every relationship you will face. You may want to pay attention. This is a key to handle every relationship. It's a key to handle every relationship. When I was with a couple's, before they get married, I tell them the story. And sometimes they look at me like I'm crazy. But after a few years, they come back and say, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it makes sense. I say, when you're dating, you're going shopping for your coffin. <laughs> when you get engaged, you actually buy it. Yes, and it had a light in it. <laughs> the, the ring came in a box that looked like polished and, and anyway so when you actually get married you go into it you go into the coffin and as the children come they're the nails and they knock you into the coffin and keep you there why am I saying this am I being disrespectful no I'm saying that in relationships, we must experience the power of the cross. We must experience the power of joining him in his death. We must experience the dynamic of entering into this relationship where we now are dying with him to ourselves. Must deny himself. So if you're trying to get out of the box in your marriage, if you're trying to get out of the coffin, guess what? You're not being faithful to the word of God. He's saying, die to yourself. He's saying, live for the other. So I'm going to give you the, some keys. This came to me in, in, a, in a meeting that I was having with the uh, Peace and Reconciliation Network. We were in the middle of a meeting. And all of a sudden, all of these words came into a graphic picture that one of the guys that I was sitting with, a Nigerian man, he has gone through his own reconciliation process because of some of the things that have been going on in Nigeria. He asks the, the leader, he says, is there a formula? Is there a formula for peace and reconciliation? And flippantly, I drew something on a sketch and I said, here's the formula. And the Lord started to speak to me. So you get to share it, you get to hear it, and you get to see it firsthand. So when Jesus says these words, what is he talking about? He's talking about this. He's saying... Deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. What does that look like? There was a process in his crucifixion. In the same way that there was a process in the dating, the engagement, the marriage, and then the nails and all of that. It's a process. So in the process of his crucifixion, the first thing that happened before he even was nailed to the cross is they put a crown of thorns over his head. There's a crown of thorns over your head as part of being joined to Christ in his death. There has to be. If there isn't, there's something wrong. If there isn't a crown of thorns over your head right now to join you with him, I'm not talking about a physical crown. I'm not talking about actual thorns that make your, your forehead bleed. I'm talking about something in the spirit that on your head there is a virtual or a spiritual crown of thorns. What does the crown do? 
It shows you the kind of kingdom that you're a part of. It shows you the kind of life that you're taking on. It's not a life of being glorious and it's a gold, uh, shiny, th- uh, what do you call it, uh, crown with diamonds and, and beads and all kinds of things. No, it's heavy duty. It's dirty. It's made of these vines and these uh, thorny things that are pricking your forehead and it's causing you to have to do things different. What happens when you have this crown of thorns in your head? Your thinking has to be different than it was before. He didn't come to be the king of kings and the the lord of lords the way that his disciples expected him to be. He had a different crown. It's a crown of humility. It's a crown of service. It's a crown of bowing. So when you're coming to the cross and carrying your cross, the first thing that even before you get on it, you recognize that I need a different mindset. I need to think differently about this other person. This partner that I have in my business, this partner that I have in my home, my children, my wife, my husband, my parents, all of these relationships in the church, between nations, if you want to go very big. My mind needs to think different. It's not about me, it's about them. Everything that Aaron did, I watched him as he was planning this thing. It wasn't about how to make himself happy. It was how do I do this so that Lauren can have the amazing experience of my coming to her and asking her to marry me. How can I package it? How can I prepare for it? And this is exactly what Christ did for us. He prepared himself so that his crown would be a crown of beauty instead of the crown of thorns only. And that crown of thorns becomes his crown of beauty. So he's challenging us to join him in this. And then the Lord showed me the right hand. And in the right hand, the scripture says that it's the extension of the right hand of fellowship. So when we begin to walk and we reach out one to the other and hold hands, all of a sudden there's something that happens between me and Alina when I'm holding her right hand like this. It's not like me putting my hand on her shoulder or my arm around her her back. It's nothing like that. Something happens when our hands are joined. We're walking together now. We have to figure things out. I get to know her. She gets to know me. All of a sudden we're beginning to agree You can't hold each other's hand like this and disagree. We've seen that. It's ugly. We've seen it when Prime Minister Trudeau went to Washington and President Trump and him were playing the game of who's going to control the handshake. Do you remember that? That was embarrassing. Two key leaders in the world, our key leader and and the U.S. key leader, are trying to stutter as to who's going to squeeze the other harder and who's going to let go first and who's going to pull who in. All of these things. It's got nothing to do with that. The hand of fellowship is, hi, Alina, how are you? How are you doing? What's happening with you? And as we begin to talk and we're holding hands, the right hand of fellowship allows us to knit our hearts together so that we begin to understand one another. It's not a conflict. You cannot be in conflict and shake hands. You know, in scouts, we used to shake hands with the left hand. There's a reason for that. I'll tell you. In the military, when the war ended, every soldier has to hold his sword in the right hand, if they're right-handed. Most people are right-handed, right? So the sword is in the right hand. There's a number of us that are left-handed, and that speaks a whole different volume, but it's the same principles on your left hand as your, as your right, for those who are left-handed. The right hand is the right hand of the sword. That's the sword of the attack. That's the sword of the defense. The left hand is the shield, right? So in the scouts, they want it to be a little bit different and not just saying, I'm going to put my sword down so I won't attack you. 
they're going to say, I'm going to hold my sword so that I can defend you, but I'm not going to defend myself against you, but I'll put my, sh- my shield down and I trust you with your sword in your hand. So it's basically, I'm trusting my life in yours. But in our case, when we're taking the sword and putting it down, we're actually saying, I'm not going to attack you. I'm not even going to defend you. I mean, I'm not going to defend myself against you. I'm putting my sword down and I'm shaking your hand and I want to enter into this life together. If we die together, we die together. We live together, we live together. That's the right hand. The left hand, when they were building the wall around the city of Jerusalem, there was a group of people that had swords and they were defenders and there was a group of people that had the tools to build the wall and they were the, the, the wall makers, the masons. And there was another group that was carrying supplies back and forth. And they were carrying supplies with one hand and they had the sword in the other. The sword was on their right hand. The supplies was on their left. So the left hand speaks of us working to serve one another. So I'm shaking Alina's hand. And with my left hand, I'm serving her. I'm, you know, fixing her hair beautifying her face, fixing her clothes, bringing her food, all of that. And then after a while that we've done this together and we've come, become familiar with one another and comfortable with one another, then holding hands, we continue serving with both our left hands, others. And then the last thing that the Lord showed me was the feet. And the feet, when you listen to Ephesians chapter 6, when he's talking about putting on the full armor of God, he's talking about the feet that are shod with the gospel of peace. So this whole thing about being crucified with him and the peace of God coming into his house is about us being fitted together as his house to contain the peace that he wants to impart to us as his body so that we can be like him, the Prince of Peace, to take his peace, his shalom, between one another and through one another to the world that's around us. So take our feet and go to the contexts that are different than ours. Rob is doing that this week. He's taken his feet, got onto a plane, and he's flown all the way to Hong Kong so that he can take the message God has put into him to share it with the others that are there. You do that every time you wake up and go to work or go to school. You step into the context that's different than yours. You step into a context that may be violent, competitive. Some of us are actually in situations that are dangerous where there's a lot of conflict between people. But you can step in. And as a carrier of his peace, bring his peace into the moment. As a matter of fact, that's what he sent the 70 disciples to do when he sent them in Luke 10. First thing you do, go to the house and knock on the door and say, peace upon you. And if the peace of God is there, they will receive you. Go in, eat with them, heal their sickness, and then tell them the kingdom of God has has come to your home. So when we look at this picture, and we see this illustration... What we see is exactly what the Lord showed me when I saw this picture after I drew it real quick to this man and told him, hey, here's the formula. It's the cross. But the Lord opened it up. And I'm sharing this with you for you to understand in every encounter, in every relationship here in this church between one another. There are some other religions and some other philosophies that will tell you, no, be number one, attack everything, try to survive, put yourself ahead of everything else. That's not Christianity. That's not the message of cross. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is this. It's the cross. And the cross is meant for us to be reconciled, first of all, with God. 
And when we are reconciled with God, there is a shift in our mindset. There is a shift in our thoughts. We begin to speak a different language. Sometimes we speak so much of that that we're not connected to the world and the world doesn't understand what we're saying because we're not making sense to the world. But the world, we need to be different than just that. We need to have that shift happen in our mindsets and then we need to have the shift happen with our service now and go out from where we are to be able to serve the environment that we're in. Have fellowship with one another. This is what church is all about. This is what small groups is all about. After we're done here, Alpha is going to be uh, meeting and they're, they're going to be discussing different things. But in the context of that, they're learning to walk together and process the details of life together. And out of that, we serve one another. Worship team is serving us. People that have prepared snacks outside are serving us. Downstairs, the staff is serving the, the Sunday school and the students. But it doesn't stop there. It translates into us serving one another so that we can together serve the world. So that together we can step out of our context into different contexts so that we can help and be the solutions because the house is going to have a greater glory and it's going to have a peace that's going to increase forever. And you're part of that house. It starts in your very smallest circle. I'm going to end with this one thought. The measure... <clears throat> The measure and the degree of unity that you walk in. Listen carefully. The degree and the measure of unity that you walk in determines the degree and measure of authority you have. Let me repeat that one more time. The degree and measure of unity that you walk in determines the degree and measure of authority that you have. In a family, if the husband and the wife have unity, all of a sudden, there's authority that they possess in that house. They can raise up the family, and the scripture says, the house divided cannot stand, with the opposite is also true. A house united will stand. Connect that house now, that couple, that family, with another family in a church context. Connect one another here. We have three congregations. We have two senior pastors. We have a bunch of leaders. When we begin to walk in unity, there is an authority that we possess, and that authority allows us to see the kingdom of God advance in the lives of others. The degree and measure of unity determines this, the degree and measure of authority. It's the same in a city. When the churches in the city are united, they have the authority because they serve together to shift the climate in the city. It's the same in a nation. It's the same between nations. So everything that we're doing, that you see us traveling for, is working to establish this unity in function. The unity has been established in fact on the cross by Jesus. But it's being established in function when we are together and when we function together. And that increases the level of authority that the church has. So you want authority over your family? Be united. If you're a single parent, be united with your kids. Find ways, extend the hand, find ways to establish unity within your sphere. 
because that will give you authority over your sphere. And then find ways of being knit together with others that are walking in the same way so that you can establish unity between each other's spheres and that will enlarge. One can take a thousand to flight. Two, how many? Ten thousand. You want authority? It happens in unity. That's what the Lord is doing with us here. So let's stand and I'll pray and that the Lord will bless you. Lord, we thank you that today you are shaking the heavens and the earth. You are to establish your kingdom on this earth. So, Father, we pray for those nations that are going through turmoil right now. We pray, Lord, that your presence through your body would bring peace and express the glory that you are imparting to your church right now. Father, we pray for your peace and your glory over this nation, Canada. As we all go to the polls tomorrow, we pray for your peace in us and through us, in the hearts of all those that are voting. May your church, Father, serve this nation well. Father, may we see your kingdom come into the city in a greater capacity as your churches walk together in a deeper sense of unity, a greater measure. Father, we pray for City River, that as we together function in preferring one another, that the degree and the measure of unity that would be increased among us would cause others to know that you have been sent by the Father. We pray the same, Lord, in our homes. Whether we're a family of ten or two or one, a household of one, Father, the unity that we share, and you're going to say what unity? The unity that we have in the two or three, in the one who lives in the home physically and the you who is in the spirit, that unity of those two, establishes a unity and a bond that establishes your kingdom to move forward. So, Father, may your peace fall upon each one of us right now. Holy Spirit, touch us, change us, align us with your purposes. Bring us to the place, Lord, where we walk together in unity, taking up our cross and following you daily, that your image would be made known in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful time voting tomorrow. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next week.